Welcome to our Deep Rooted Podcast, a weekly podcast featuring our latest live Bible study, as well as other encouraging messages and teachings from our hearts to yours. Who's happy to be in the house this morning? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. It's always good to be here. Uh, I love seeing your guys' faces every morning. You know, this is one of the best days that we have to look forward to every single week, Stephanie and I. We were just here a few days ago, and when we come in here, we just smell the building and think about Sundays, and it's just so happy to be here. And uh, we're just thankful for everyone who shows up, everyone who continues to come and calls Deep Rooted Ministries our home, whether you're in person or online. We thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for being here. For we know that there's no distance between us and you guys in the spiritual realm. Who has their Bibles this morning? We're going to go into uh, into the Word a little bit. Um, before that, just one more announcement. We have our volunteer meeting happening after service today. Um, it's at 12 p.m. So if you have RSVP'd or if you've told me or let someone know that you're coming, just a reminder, it starts at 12. So don't leave after the service. Don't leave. Um, we'll be here just mingling and stuff, and then we'll have the food ready. And 12 o'clock is when we'll be ready to get down and get into the nitty-gritty. All right? Someone say, all right. Are you awake this morning? You guys sleeping in still? All right. So, this morning, we're continuing Now Faith Is. We're continuing Now Faith Is. And today, I want to talk about the enemy of faith. What the enemy of faith is in our life. Because you can have all this faith. You can learn all these things. You can, you can get faith into you. But, if you let the enemy of faith in as well, they'll be fighting each other all day. And it's harder to use your faith when you have the enemy of faith attacking your faith. So the enemy of faith, if you don't know, is fear. Fear is the enemy of faith. Now, lots of people think that fear is the opposite of faith. No. Fear is actually faith in the wrong thing. You're believing in the wrong report. You're believing, you're watching the news, and you're believing what they're saying, and it's bad, and it's horrible. Fear is faith in the wrong thing. It's the enemy of faith. Now, the opposite of faith is doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief often come attached to fear. When you fear, you start to doubt. When you start to doubt, you start to unbelieve what you had believed. So the enemy of faith is fear. Many times in scriptures, the Bible says um, that Jesus would talk to the, the disciples and he would say, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't do this, just believe. Just believe. Some people went to Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe but help me with my unbelief. So unbelief is always a root in a lot of these issues of faith, but those roots are planted by fear. Fear. 
So I want to talk to you guys about fear today and why you shouldn't be afraid. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace. Peace. From God the Father, in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I am persuaded in you also, now, Paul is, is calling to remembrance Timothy's grandma. Saying, man, your grandma had so much faith. Your grandma had so much faith. And his grandma passed it down to his mother. And his mother to Timothy. That's a generational faith right there. That's a generation that taught children the right things. And I want my kids, every kid that comes in here, to have this same letter. To have someone say, man, when I met your grandmother, when I met your grandfather, when I met your father, they had genuine faith, just like it's in you too. That's our goal here, is for people to have a genuine faith, an unfeigned faith. Now you see, when you, when you don't have a genuine faith, it's fake. It's fake faith. We went over this a couple weeks ago with the Philistines, or the, uh, the Egyptians. The Egyptians trying to cross the Red Sea because they saw the Israelites do it. And they thought they could do it too. But God didn't tell them they could. So they had faith in the wrong thing. Faith in the wrong thing. Do you know what caused the Egyptians to pursue the Israelites? Fear. Once they realized we're nothing without our slaves... Our, our economy is going to crash without our slaves. They were afraid. And they chased after them so they can get them back. You see, fear is the root of all of these, all of these problems in our life when we're trying to have faith. You know, the word fear is mentioned a lot of times in the Bible. If we keep reading, after he says, I'm persuaded it's in you. In verse 6, he says, Therefore, I am reminded you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. Sometimes when you fear, when you're going through something that might be fearful, we have the tendency to, to think it's from the Lord. Maybe God's showing me something. Maybe God's warning me about something. But the Bible says that God does not give us fear. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He doesn't give us what fear has inside to offer. This is what the word fear is defined by. It says worry 
timidity, anxiousness, shyness, hesitation, all of those are what fear is defined by in this scripture. So whenever you feel shy, you feel anxious, you feel worried, you feel hesitant about something, I don't know if I should do that. It's not how God wants you to operate. Fear is never from God. And whenever you're facing something and you feel fearful, it is not from the Lord. He has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power. That word power is dunamis power. Power to do mighty works, mighty miracles. Not just power to, to lift something up with strength, but power to do the miraculous. Power to live supernaturally. This is the type of power that God has given you. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. Power. He's given you power, love, and a sound mind. You know why he gives you love? Because 1 John chapter 4 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you fear, you're not made perfect in love. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're not, your spirit's not perfect. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. What it means is, you don't understand God's love. You don't understand the love of God. In other words, you're not transformed by the renewing of your mind to God's love. Because if you understood God's love, fear would have no room. If you understood God's love for you, what he's done for you, and what he's given you, fear can't be in the same room. If you believe the Bible says that by his stripes you were healed, if you believe the Bible says that he gave you, he gave the disciples power, he gave you power, that the spirit of, you, of Jesus lives in you to give you power against the enemy, then there's no reason to fear. Absolutely no reason to fear. If you know his love. So if you're fearful, you don't know his love. And it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but it really shouldn't. It should be a good reminder. It should be a reminder to you saying, wow, I'm fearful. That means I must do something different. That means I probably shouldn't watch TV 24-7. Maybe I shouldn't be on Netflix all the time. Maybe I shouldn't be on Instagram all day long. Maybe I should get in the Word. You see, fear is not from God, but fear is a great reminder. It is a great reminder to remind you that you're not in the Word. That you're not renewed by His love. Because perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. And there is no love in fear. No love. Many times, especially in the church, we're surrounded by leaders, by pastors, by all these people who try to intimidate us through fear tactics. Who try to influence us to do something because of fear. Let me tell you, there's no love in that. I don't care if it's for the better of the ministry. I don't care if it's for anybody else. There is no love in that. No love. This is why there's a lot of times where, where children, they grow up, they do something wrong, they, they, maybe they're, they're going a, a little astray in their life, they're not following the word anymore. 
And what I find is that a lot of people try to guilt them, make them fearful. If you keep doing this, it's going to happen to you. If you keep doing this, your life's going to go out. If you keep doing that, you're just heading down a horrible path. They try to fear. They try to get them as afraid of the life that they're going. There's no love in that. There's no love in trying to make someone fearful to turn the other way. There's no love. Jesus never approached people and said, if you don't turn right now, you're going to hell. If you don't turn right now, you're burning in the lake of fire. That's fearful. It's the truth, but it's fearful. There is a truth in love that we got to preach. A truth in love we got to teach. Not a truth in fear. Truth in love. The Bible says in Paul's writings, he said that if the ministry of, of the law, if the ministry of condemnation, if the ministry of the old ministry that we used to preach, if it had its glory, meaning of the Old Testament law, the, the you should not do this, you can't do that, you, shan't, you can't do any of that. If that had its glory, how much more will the ministry of grace, the ministry of righteousness, have its glory? You see, I'm not here to preach against the law. In fact, I'm an advocate for the law, because without the law, there'd be chaos. Without the law, there'd be disorder. Without the law, we wouldn't know why we need grace in the first place. We need the law. Amen? However, the ministry of the law, which the Bible actually says, the ministry of death. Wow. The ministry of death had its glory. It served its purpose. Let me give you an example. You have little ones. You're raising little ones. You're teaching them, don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Very law tactic teachings. Don't do that. Just don't do that. Don't cross the road. Don't do this. Very strict. Very straightforward. Not much room to go anywhere else. Like they had to be perfect. Right? But as they get older, what happens? You start to kind of teach them differently now. It's, it's less and less of, stop doing that, stop doing this. And it's more of, don't do this because this is the consequence of when... You start to explain now. You start to give options now. You start to show them the right path now, right? It's less strict and it's more flowy. Because they're older, they're maturing in certain areas. And so they're able to receive the same information, but in a different light. And you see, that's all that the Old Testament is with the New Testament. The New Testament is the same information as the Old Testament in a different light. Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, no, you cannot murder someone. You shall not have any other gods before you. You shall not have adultery. Yeah, commit adultery. Or steal. Or lie. You still should not do those things. But now it's not because God won't love you. It's because Jesus has given you something better. And when you understand the love of God, here we go back to the love of God, he says that the whole law can be summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you truly love somebody, you're not going to kill them. If you truly love someone, you won't take their wife. If you truly love somebody, 
you will not steal. Same law, different light. Understand? Where did that come from, Lord? That's not even my notes. But you got to understand, what I'm trying to say is you got to understand the love. The love of Christ. It changes everything. It changes, it changes the way we live our life. The love of Christ. And fear, going back to that, fear doesn't do that. Fear is like the law. It'll work for a child, but it won't work for an adult. You, can't, you cannot drill fear into someone and expect a life change. I see this way too many times in corporate settings, in, in the entrepreneur world. A lot of fear. Lots of fear tactics trying to be driven into employees, into people. And the only thing that it produces is a resenting culture of employees. All of the employees hate the boss. They hate the upper, upper management. They, they, they don't agree with it. A lot of strife there. Fear is not from God. And it should never be used on His people. Amen? Now, if I catch you doing that, you're in trouble. <laughs> but fear is not from God. You know, fear, it causes us to, to make irrational decisions. Emotional decisions. He says in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and sound mind. It doesn't just mean sanity. It means self-control. Being able to control yourself. God has given you a controllable self. You're able to control your emotions, in other words. You're able to think straight. You're able to, to make the right decision, right? Because God has given a sound mind to you. And fear, it does the opposite. It tries to get you to think the worst case scenario. It tries to get you to think, what could happen if this? Oh, what happens if this? What happens if this happens? And it causes you to think irrationally. How many of you have had symptoms of something, whatever it was, and the first thing you do is go on your phone and type in your symptoms? Try to find what's wrong with you. What's going on? with? Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel this? Why do I feel that? You know what you're doing? You're being irrational. You're being irrational. Because the truth is, nothing's wrong with you. You just are afraid. You're fearful. And it's causing you to think irrational. It's causing you to think, oh my gosh, am I dying? Is this going on? Oh, what if I have this? Oh my goodness. Fear. Fear, 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 fear. But God has given you a sound mind. A mind that is capable of going back to the scriptures, reading the word, getting that inside of you, getting his love inside of you. You know, a lot of times people are believing the word, but when something happens to them, whether it's a sickness or whatever, they get afraid. And I'm always like, why are you so afraid? I mean, 
we're supposed to believe for the best case scenario. We're supposed to believe that no plague can come near our dwelling. That no sickness can harm us. That, that nothing can take us from, from the protection of God. We're protected. We're blessed. But, if the doctor told you you're going to die, why are you so afraid? Don't you know where you're going? If anything, you should believe, nope, I'm not going to die. But if I do, it's better that I'm there than I'm here. I'm, I'll be in heaven rejoicing while you guys are here suffering. Right? But a lot of times Christians, when they believe God's word, they believe God loves them, they believe they're more than conquerors, but the minute they get that sentence, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Their faith goes out the window. And fear comes in. Fear activates the power of the enemy. Just like faith activates the power of the Lord working in our life. The faith that God has been given into us already. And when we utilize our faith, we're appropriating every good thing that God has given us. We're making it into reality. We're making the seed work. But fear does the same thing on the other spectrum. When you are fearful, what you're doing is you're opening the door for the enemy to come in and plant more seeds. Plant more seeds of doubt. Oh yeah, see, you're feeling this way. This is why. Here, look up this symptom. Here, read this WebMD article. Here, go to this. And fear starts to keep controlling you and controlling you to where you start to doubt what the Bible really says. So although doubt and, un and, and unbelief might be the issue, fear is what was planted. Fear is the root. So we're dealing with it. We're getting it out. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen? Amen. But of power, love, and a sound mind. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. The Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Notice how he says again. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Another portion in scripture, he says that not to be, not to be entangled again to fear. Don't be bound again to fear. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of of bondage. He says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you're circumcised, he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything or uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by what? Love. love. By fear? By love. Faith works by love, not fear. What he's saying here is, you who've been circumcised 
are no effect. Christ has become no effect to you. Meaning, there's no power working at you because you are subject to the law. The law of Moses required all children, male children, to be circumcised so that they can identify with Christ. They can identify that they're God's chosen people. In fact, we go back to the Old Testament and we read about David and Goliath. David was a circumcised boy. Goliath was uncircumcised. What does that mean? David was a child of God, while Goliath wasn't. And the first thing that David says to Goliath is he says, Who are you, uncircumcised Philistine, to stand against me in the army of God? In other words, he's saying, Who are you, child of the devil? You're not of God. You have no power over us. He was identifying who they were. But that was the law. That's what the law required, is for you to be circumcised so that you can be a child of God. But, Paul says, that if you are circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, I'm not saying, don't get weird. This doesn't affect you. What this is talking about is the principle of where you're putting your faith. Are you putting faith in the law? Or are you putting faith in the New Testament, New Covenant, Jesus Christ? Where's your faith? Do you think by doing this work, okay, that's what that is. It's a work. It's the law says to do this, so I'm going to do it. Work. Are you putting faith in works because you're afraid if you don't, God won't love you? Or are you putting your faith in Jesus Christ who already did the work and now you're following in that. You're following in that leadership. You're following in that footpath. Which one are you believing in? Are you believing your works will get you saved? Or are you believing that Christ has saved you already? And all you have to do is believe. That's what he's saying right here. He's not actually talking about doing that, all that stuff. I mean, that's just, that's not what he's talking about. He's trying to paint a picture, an illustration. Are you trusting in works? Or are you trusting in grace? Grace provided. All of your needs already met. All of your needs already provided for. You don't have to work for Him. You don't have to strive for God's blessings. And the only way that your faith can be effective is through love. Through love. Not fear in not meeting the mark. Not having, not having fear of, of not being good enough. That's what the law did. The law showed you, you're not good enough. You cannot, cannot fulfill the entire law. It's impossible. It showed you where you failed. And it made people fearful. So they kept trying to do it over and over and over, fulfilling one work after another work, to the point where it got so bad that you couldn't even pick a thing of wheat from a wheat field on Sabbath day. Imagine rock, walking through a path of a giant wheat field. Pick one of those, you broke the law. How ridiculous was that? The law failed in what Jesus was ultimately only able to do. And your faith cannot work through that fear. I'm telling you though, if you operate out of fear, 
and you try to get faith results, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to miss it every time. If you're trying to operate in fear and get faith results, you're going to miss it every time. Because faith only works through love. I was looking this up earlier this week. And the number one fear in the world today... Can anyone take a guess? Finances. Finances, COVID, spiders, death. Anyone else? Public speaking. That's a big one. The number one fear in America. Failure. Failure. Now let me say something. You are going to fail. You're going to fail. Being afraid of failure is like being afraid of death. You're going to die. We all will. You're going to fail. We all will. And because of this fear of, fail, uh, the fear of failure, people are not willing to take a step of faith because they don't want to fail. So they don't do anything. They don't go out on the limb where the fruit is made. They hug onto the trunk where it's nice and safe, nice and sturdy, but that's not where the fruit grows. It's on the limb where it's shaky, where the wind blows, where the leaves fall off, where a cat will jump on. It's not the, it's not the, the safe, stable trunk. That's where the fruit grows on the limb. But people don't take a step of faith because they're afraid to fail. So let me encourage you today that you'll fail. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the strength of my heart. Even though you will fail, God will strengthen you to get back up. God will strengthen you to keep moving forward. Let's look at the disciples. They failed constantly. Constantly they failed. Look at Peter alone. He failed so many times. But you know what he did? That you didn't do? And that no one will ever do? He walked on water. Peter walked on the water. But he failed. You see, failure doesn't define who we are. Failure, it does not write our history. Failure doesn't dictate what our future is going to be. Unless you let it. Unless you let it. Now, a lot of people are afraid to, to have faith, right? A lot of religious people are afraid to operate in faith. To say it. Speak to the mountain. To believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. They're afraid. They're afraid it won't work. So what do they do? They retreat. They go behind a wall. They go, they go back to the Old Testament. And they say, well, see, no, 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 no. Look at Job. 
Look at, go, look, go look at Job. He, he suffered. Why, why do I have to not suffer? He suffered. L- look at Moses. Let's go look at whoever. Suffering, suffering, suffering. And they go behind that wall of Old Testament because they're afraid to fail. They're afraid to fail. Let me encourage you that we're human. And even when you're believing in faith, even when you're believing God for something, you're not always going to get it perfectly. Every time. You're human. That's what the Bible tells us, to renew our mind every single day. Every single day. Every single day. Because why? Our flesh and our hearts will fail. They will fail. Our emotions will fail us. Our actions will fail us. Let me tell you, you're, you're not going to be doing what you did at 20 when you're 90. You're not going to be playing sports like you did when you were 15 when you're 80. Because your flesh fails. Your flesh will fail. But God is the strength of your heart. God's the strength. When you rely on yourself, you're going to fail even more. But when you rely on God, at least when you fail, you'll get back up. He'll get you back up. And you'll keep going forward. There's a phrase people always say, fail forward. I don't even know what that means, but I just thought you'd hear it. Fail forward. The question isn't, what will I do if I fail? It's what will you do when you fail? So many people are scarred with the thought of, what happens if I fail? What am I going to look like to people? What are they going to think of me? What does this mean for my career? What does this mean for my family? And they think, what, what if? What happens if I fail? But you got to ask yourself, what will you do when you fail? Because you will. Are you going to sit there and think, oh, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. I should have done that. It's over. Just move forward. Are you going to go forward or are you going to stay back and, 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 and just sulk? Are you going to stay back and mope around wishing what had happened didn't happen? Failure is not something for you to be afraid of. When you rely on yourself, okay, when you rely on all of your efforts, on all of who you are, it's going to take a toll when you fail. Because you're, you're relying on yourself. You're relying on how good you are. Maybe you, you were in high school and you played sports. I know many of these people who excelled at football. They excelled at soccer. Horrible in education. Horrible in every other area. Wasn't musically inclined. Wasn't an artist. They only could play sports. That's what they were good at. And they excelled. But what happens when they get that injury that ends their season? What happens when the season's done? What happens when the school year is over? What happens when you graduate and that college offer didn't come? 
what happens? You see, they rely on themselves. They rely on their efforts. They relied on their own works. And when they failed, it hit hard. And it causes a lot of people to be fearful of failing. But when you rely on the Lord, it really does not matter how many times you fail. I don't even know how many times I failed. I fail so many times. But does it affect me? No. Do I care? No. Because I know God has more. And it doesn't matter the mistakes I make. God has more for me. God has more for you. God has more for all of our lives. But we cannot sit back and wish about things that were never meant to be. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. The Bible says, And Moses went and he spoke these words unto all Israel, and he said unto them, I am a hundred and twenty years old this day. I'm going to be saying that in a few years. I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, You shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord thy God, he will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you. And thou shalt possess them and... Joshua, he shall go over before thee as the Lord hath said. And the Lord shall do unto them as he did in Sihon and Og, kings of the Amorites, and to the lands of them whom he destroyed. And the Lord shall give them up before your face, that you may do unto them according unto all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and be of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, it is he that does good with you. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And Moses called Joshua, and he said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with all the people unto the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord... He it is that does go before you, and he will be before thee, and he will not fail you, neither forsake you. Fear not, neither be dismayed. God will never fail you, ever, ever. And when you have faith that God will never fail you, there's no room for fear. The only time that fear will creep in is when you give it room. When you give it room. We're going to fail. Get over it. God will never fail, ever. And He will redeem you. He will bring you up, lest you dash a foot against your stone. He will bring you up to keep going. There are two reports that you will get in this lifetime. And you will have the opportunity to believe one or the other. The report of the Lord and the report of man.
the report of the Lord and the report of man. We just read the report of the Lord. He will go before you. He will fight your battles. He will never fail you. Never leave you. Always be with you. Always be by your side. Giving you strength to conquer every single day. More than enough to meet all of your needs. To be abundant in all good works. There's the report of the Lord right there. Then there's the report of man. Who says you have high cholesterol. Who says you won't live till you're 30. Who says you won't see your kid's graduation. Who says you're going under. you got to file for bankruptcy. Your health degenerating. Your kids are struggling. The report of the Lord or the report of man. Which one do you want to believe? Believing the report of man will instill fear every single day. I cannot tell you when, actually I can, the last time I turned on the news was in November for the elections. That was it. I haven't watched the news since then. And before then, I don't know when I watched the news last. And I don't really care to find the good news of, of on TV. I don't care which news site is better than the other, which one's true and which one's false. I just don't watch it. Well, Matthew, aren't you out of date with everything? Don't you not know what's going on around the world? I don't care. The only thing I care about is if this is more important to me than that. I don't care about that. There are too many people, too many Christians, who talk more about the news and about politics and about COVID and about controversies and conspiracies and about all that garbage than they do about Jesus. Every conversation that's on Facebook, nothing about Jesus. They go to church. Good for them. But they are just like ugh, so engulfed in garbage. I used to say this a lot. Especially when I was growing up, my parents would tell me not to listen to certain music and watch certain things. And I would tell them, oh, I'm strong enough to watch this. I can't listen to this without having it influence me. No, I'm not. The Bible says, do not be deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Corrupts good morals, good behaviors. Evil communication. That doesn't just mean someone saying something evil listening to like rap or something that cusses. Communication is talking about its way of life. It's a way of life. Evil communication. In other words, corrupt, not good, not pure, conduct. Whatever you're associating yourself with, that's what's spreading onto you. People are afraid of COVID, but they're not afraid of the news. 
people are more afraid of a virus that spreads than they are about what they're putting into their ears. Now that doesn't make sense to me. But there's two reports. Report of the Lord or the report of man. Now I'm not against the news. If you watch the news, you're going to heaven. There's good news sites out there. There's one called Flashpoint. Go watch that one. But my point is, if, if you talk about that the most, if that's what you're watching the most, if that's what you're listening to the most over the Bible, over Jesus, over the good news, you're, what you're doing is you're allowing opportunity for fear to creep in and for faith to leave. And the only way to keep faith in is to keep fear out by not listening to the garbage. Not opening the door for the garbage. You know, we have a screen door that goes to our backyard. Big glass sliding door that opens and closes. And then there's a screen door that allows us to open the door so that we can have the breeze come in without all the bugs and all the nasties and all that stuff. Well, that only works so much, you know. Like there's going to be some bugs that come in because the door is open. It's not perfect. That's how a lot of Christians operate. They open the glass door that's protecting them, and they have the screen door that allows all the outside in that tries to filter all the bad stuff. But a little bit's going to come in. Just a little bit. You're going to get that spider every once in a while. You're going to have that mosquito come in. They're not perfect. And the only way you, you can prevent that to happen is if you close the door. Close it completely. We've got to believe the report of the Lord. The Bible says to let God be true and some men, all Men, liars. All of them. Now it's extreme. And it's saying that you need to trust God more than you trust people. Trust what God says about you more than what you trust your physician. Your physician. Vision. What are they called? Physician. More than what they say about you. I'm not against going to the doctor. I've gone to the doctor before. I just got a phone call saying that I need to go back for my checkup. It's been a year. But I'm not against the doctor. I'm not against science. I'm not against all those things. What I'm against is you depending on the source of truth. What, on, when, you, when you depend on what they say is true. When you don't go to the word for yourself and find out what's truth. That's what I'm against. That's what I'm against. Romans chapter 4 Verse 17 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Talking about Abraham. In the presence of him who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they, though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope, believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, 
he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham had a voice from the Lord, had a word from God about a certain circumstance, a certain situation that naturally seemed impossible. Naturally was not possible. And God told him that he would be a father of many nations. How do you believe in the word of the Lord without reading it? You can't. You can't. God's word will always contradict what's natural. When God has a spoken word for you, when God has something specific for you, it is not going to make sense in the natural. It's not going to make sense. You're not going to figure it all out in one second. It takes faith. But the only time you can get this word is if you're in it. If you're in it. And when you're not in it, you're giving room for everybody else's word to come into your life. If God tells you something and you go and tell somebody else, you're going to get the word from them and the word from God. And you're going to have the opportunity to choose, who am I going to believe? This is why one of the worst things you could ever do is post your stuff on Facebook. Because you're going to get everybody and their mothers commenting on that post, Oh, I'm so sorry, sweetheart, my father went through the same thing and he passed away. Where is the faith? That's nothing but fear. Are you going to believe the report of the Lord or what the Bible or what the or what man says about you? You know the Bible and I love this. The phrase fear not is written in the Bible. A total of 365 times. One for every day. Every day you're going to have something come against you. And if one day something doesn't, well then you got an extra fear not. Double for your trouble. But every single day you have an opportunity to be afraid or to be in faith be afraid or to be in faith? Let me ask you, are you fully convinced, are you fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised? And if you say no, it's because you're still operating in fear. You're still looking at the circumstances. You're still looking at the what ifs. Fear. Mark chapter 5. This is my last scripture. It's a pretty long one. It's a beautiful story. It says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, 
He was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, uh, and she suffered many things from many physicians. But she had spent all that she had, and was no better, but it rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd, crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I may only just touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt it in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who, who, her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing him and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And he was still speaking. Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble this teacher any further? Your daughter's dead. Give up. It's not possible. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Do not be afraid. Only believe. He permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came into the house of the ruler, and he saw a tumult, and those who wept, and they wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why are you making this commotion? Why are you weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. They mocked him. They laughed at him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with them, and he entered where the child was laying, and he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement, but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given to her to eat. Imagine being Jairus. Imagine being this ruler of the synagogue. Somebody who should be opposed of Jesus. Saying, Lord, Jesus, my daughter is sick. Come to my house. Please heal her. And on the way to the house, a disturbance. Distraction happens. Jesus is healed or heals somebody that needed a healing. And she was miraculously healed. And all of a sudden, during that time, Jairus is thinking, come on, we got to go. We got to go. And a ruler, one of his servants come and says, Jairus, she's dead. It's not worth it. 
Nothing we could do. Imagine the, the fear. Imagine the doubt that was going through Jairus, going through his mind when he heard those words. Your daughter is dead. He had an option to listen to that word or to listen to Jesus. And the Bible is so cleverly written how it says that when Jesus, when he heard that word, he turned around and said, do not be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. And you know, I, I love reading this because I don't believe Jesus was soft-spoken about this. I don't believe he was walking around and his robe was flowing and all of a sudden someone got healed and he goes, who healed me? And then this person comes and he goes to Jairus and says, don't be afraid. Just believe. I don't believe it was like that. I believe with the commotion, with all the people around him, all the loudness that was happening, people looking at this woman who was healed, saying, oh my gosh, look at what's happening. This woman was healed. And this report comes. I believe Jesus turned around and said, Jairus, do not be afraid. Just believe. And he took no one else with him but three of his disciples. More people that you have in your situation, there is more room for doubt and fear and unbelief. You get more opinions. You get more, more criticism. You get more doubt. Take the example of Jesus. How he brought no one else but three disciples. Three disciples. And when he went to the room, people were crying. People were wailing. They were weeping because of what was naturally real. She really was dead in the physical instance. She was dead. But Jesus goes in there and says, why are you crying? I don't think he was showing compassion there. I don't think he was going, why are you guys crying? No. He's saying, stop crying. She's not dead. Why are you crying? Why are you influencing the father of this daughter to fear? There is a righteous anger we need to have when it comes to the enemy, fear, sickness, all the things he tries to do to us. We got to be angry at it. And you know what? People are people. They're not the devil. People are loved by God. They're not the devil. They just happen to be used by Him. And we got to command. Stop it. Stop being fearful. Stop putting fear into the minds of these people. And you know what He did? He didn't say, I'm so sorry guys, I was angry. He said, get out. Get out the house right now because we don't need your doubt. We don't need your fear. This is something that uh, I was listening to a healing testimony of this woman who had a brain uh, uh, aneurysm on her deathbed. And the husband got all these truths into his heart years before. And he tells everyone to get out of the room who didn't believe the same way as him. So if you're not believing my wife's going to be healed, get out of this room. Family, 
friends, doctors, forced them all out. Because he understood the power of the spoken word. I love this story. Because here, you see that Jesus wasn't, he wasn't dealt an easy circumstance. Right? I mean, most of his, most of his healings that he performed, pretty straightforward. Somebody came, Master, if you're willing, heal me. I'm willing. Be healed. I can't see. I've been blind since a youth. Be healed. I can't walk to the pool of Bethesda. Somebody always goes before me. Get off your mat and walk. But then we have an instance where now he is dealing with people who are in the way of what God wants to do. Fear and doubt come not from God, but from the enemy. And we got to take a stand on that. But the first thing you got to decide is, are you going to believe the report of the Lord? Or, man, the Bible says Jesus was ridiculed. He was mocked for what he said. If you're not being mocked and ridiculed for how you're believing and how you're stating what you're believing, it's not enough. It's not enough. There's many times where I've posted on Facebook, stating what I believe, sharing scripture, believing in the radical, supernatural, where I get people all the time messaging me. That's not what scripture really says. You're taking that way out of context. All the time. And you know what never happened to me before I had this revelation? conflict. I never had people disagree with me. Ever. So you got to make that decision. Are you going to let what people say dictate what you believe? Or are you going to stand in faith and believe for the supernatural and trust in the report of the Lord? Amen? Thank you so much for listening to the Deep Rooted Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this, and if you'd like to hear more from Matthew and Stephanie, subscribe to this podcast and visit our website. From there, you will be able to contact us directly, access our live Bible study archives, and so much more. You can also find out how to partner with us in sharing the gospel all across the world. Be blessed today, continue living in the victory, and remember that you are always welcome here in our family of faith.